just starting something. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just freaking do it. Right. If we wait for everything to be perfect for all of the stars to align, well, chances are that's not going to happen. And we don't want to use the stars not being aligned as an excuse to prevent us from taking action. You don't have to have this perfect plan. You don't have to have everything in place and just take the first step. And then the next steps will appear as you go. Hello, and welcome to the Obsessed with Real Estate show. I am your host, Alana George, and I am obsessed with real estate. I'm so excited for this episode. I'm interviewing my real estate soulmate, my BFF, Jasmine Lee, and we talk all things real estate, including why having a backup plan saved her butt on her first real estate investment and how she was able to purchase property in France on the French Riviera without speaking very much French. So we dive into that. And before we do, I just want to take a moment to touch on how important it is that we surround ourselves with the right people. We've said it on this podcast before, and I'm sure you've heard it elsewhere. You know, you are a reflection of who you surround yourself with and you become the five closest people to you. So I encourage you to really take a look at who do you have influencing you on a day-to-day basis, right? And is that who you want to be influencing you? Because you have the power to go out and make new connections and make new friends and get in new circles, right? And Jasmine, for me, has been somebody that has never been afraid to speak the truth. And I really value that. And she takes what I say, you know, to heart and never gets offended because in my opinion, she has enough self-esteem that I can say whatever I need to say. And she knows it's coming from the right place. And I specifically remember one time she called me out and I needed to hear it. And I was not happy to hear it, but I needed to hear it. I had been talking about making a change in my career from a situation that I was unhappy in, but it was financially beneficial for me to stay. And she just just asked me, why don't you leave? And I told her just one more year, I'll leave after one more year. You know, I have a plan, blah, blah, blah. And she point blank looked at me and said, Alana, that's what you said last year. And I remember my heart like dropping to my stomach and she was right. She was 100% right. And I had been saying that for a year and not realizing a year had gone by and I was still unhappy. And I had to take a deep look at, you know, what I was doing in the direction of my life. And she was not afraid to call me out on that. And, you know, it's stuff like that, that I appreciate. It's great to surround ourselves with cheerleaders and supporters, right? But we also need like sounding boards and people that are going to tell it to us straight because they care. And we have been that for each other in this real estate journey. And it's been great. And there's a lot of ways where we're really similar and we jive. And there's a lot of times where we're so different that she drives me crazy. And I wonder like how am I friends with this person? She's (laughs) such a nut. Um, And I, I don't agree with all the decisions that she makes, but I feel comfortable always telling her that, right? And she can do whatever she wants. I can do whatever I want. We're, you know, two independent people, but just having that kind of relationship and surrounding myself with somebody um, who is supportive and wants to talk about real estate as much as I do and has a lot of the same vision and goals and is goal oriented has really accelerated my career um, and the achievement of my goals. So I challenge you, if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, go out and find your own Jasmine. She kind of clung on to me and I wasn't sure how. I'm not really good at making friends, right? I always feel like inferior, blah, 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 blah. like, oh, did I talk too much? Um, you know, I don't want to compliment her too much, but I want this person to like me, right? And I can easily overthink making friends. And, you know, she's not an overthinker. She's just like you, I want you to be my friend. Now we're friends. Like I'm going to make you my friend. And it's like that quality is like so endearing to me. So either be the Jasmine or go find your Jasmine, but have someone or people in your life that are encouraging and supporting you and, you know, always looking out for you. And with that, let's jump into the interview with Jasmine Lee. 
I am so excited to interview my real estate soulmate, Jasmine Lee. Welcome to the Obsessed with Real Estate show. Thanks, Alana. I'm very excited to be here. And as your real estate soulmate, I hope this makes for a really good episode. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Me too. So Jasmine and I have known each other since about 2014 when we both got started in real estate sales. We started at the same company. And to my memory, all I remember was we decided to start uh, going on brokers tour, which is, uh, you know, in the areas for realtors once a week, um, they do like a agents only open house uh, during the week instead of the weekend. And we are like, yeah, we're going to learn inventory and learn Mountain View. And we decided to go every Friday. And then all of a sudden we were stuck together like glue. And I was talking to you like 17 times a day. Well, see, what I remember is going home after meeting you. I don't even remember if we met like in a class or what, but I remember going home and saying to my then boyfriend that I met, I met this girl, Alana, she's the same age. She's, she just got her life in two and I'm going to make her my new best friend. <laughs> and he's like, okay, don't come on so strong though. You might scare her away. And I thought that that was good advice. So I don't know if I came on strong or not, but you're still here. So thank you for being my friend. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm still here for one reason or another. And uh, you're the first person I talk to in the morning and uh, I check in with on a daily basis. And you actually are like the reason the homegirls accountability group exists. Mm-hmm. So that's part of one of your strengths, accountability, as well as like a connector of bringing, you know, like minds together, which is a really cool uh, skill to have. And I'm very appreciative, but yeah. So BFF since real estate soulmates and, and the reason I call you that, or you probably coined that. I called you that first. Yeah. The reason why I let you call me that. (laughs) Right. Well, we were both in real estate sales and then also with investing, right. Mm -hmm. We're both very passionate about it. It fuels us. We want to talk about it all the time. We're basically financial freedom, all about the, yeah, getting to financial freedom and talking about strategies and you're constantly coming up with ideas and I'm filtering them for you. And it's a really great relationship that way. And, uh, so I think that's, that's one of the ways we work. So that's, I love you too. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I was saying in a nutshell. I love you. So that's, you know, a a backstory on us. And uh, now I want to shift a little bit to just Jasmine and tell me a bit. I mean, obviously I, I feel like I know everything about you, but for the listeners, (laughs) tell me a bit about your background before you got into real estate um, sales, as well as investing, like how, what, what got you to real estate? So my pre-Alana, pre-real estate life, (laughs) basically right before I was a realtor, I was doing sales at a bowling alley. I was doing inside sales. So people would call and they'd want to book corporate events or kids parties. And I would book parties and I would get a small commission off of that. But it was not a good work environment. There wasn't a lot of upward movement and it didn't, I didn't get paid hardly anything. So I think seeing the lack of upward opportunities is what prompted me to get into into real estate and also hating that job in general. I wanted to really like make as much as I want, be my own boss and not have to deal with other people telling me what to do. (laughs) I think that's a lot of what people get into real estate. But before that job at the bowling alley, I had a lot of other jobs just throughout the years. I was a server at various restaurants for seven years. And I think serving uh, was one of the things that gave me skills for all the other stuff that I've done in my life. By the way, I think you can attest to that too, Alana. Yeah, Um, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, serving has helped me in so many ways and a lot of customer service slash, you know, critical thinking and multitasking, I I think uh, goes in any industry that you're in. And um, I haven't had anybody come on the show and say that though. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, so that's, little bit of a background. I grew up mostly in Arizona. I was born in New York. I got out to California a little over 10 years ago now. It was the end of 2011. So yeah, that's in a nutshell, my history. Cool. And then you got into, you got your real estate license and we happened to be at the same brokerage. And then what was the catalyst or maybe it was always on the back burner to get into investing? So I guess the real reason I got into investing was uh, during a coaching call, actually, with my my 
former Mike Ferry coach. So, you know, Alana, you and I were a part of the Mike Ferry coaching program for a number of years. And I had so many valuable coaching calls with my first coach and well, and my second coach too, Kristen, she was great. But um, a lot of the calls that I had with Anne were earlier on in my career. And I just remember a lot of the the things that she said to me during some of those calls. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget the life-changing call that we had one day where she put me on this plan and she, she asked me, she's like, what's your retirement plan? Like, you're going to sell houses. And then what are you going to do? You're going to sell houses until you die. And I was like, well, <laughs> well, you put it that way. No, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But now I'm not. <laughs> but not <laughs> and you were like, what, how old were you when you had this conversation with a coach? Probably 28, give or take a year. Okay. So she said to me during this call, this is your retirement plan. She didn't even ask me if I was okay with it. She just told me, this is what you're going to do. <laughs> and so I said, lay it on me. And she told me to buy one property a year for the, for the next 10 years. And so I think this must've been when I was 29. Cause my goal was to buy the first property by the time I was 30. And so buy one property a year for 10 years is what she told me to do. And then she said to pay them all off within 10 years of when I buy each one. And what was really cool was that she said, it didn't matter where the properties were. That really opened up my eyes and got me on this investing out of, out of state, out of the country kind of a thing. And so that was, you know, what kind of prompted all of the investing that I'm doing now. And obviously being your friend and being surrounded by a lot of other realtors that we know who do a lot of investing. And what I love about real estate is that there's so many different opportunities to invest and there's so many different routes. So I'm actually really excited to listen to more of your podcast to hear about other people's experiences with stuff that I know nothing about. Yeah. Thank you so much for that plug. (laughs) You're so sweet. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that sounds about right timeline wise. So that takes you to your first deal, which was out of state, mm-hmm. right? Can you just, yeah. can you tell us about that? So my very first investment deal was in Arizona. So I bought a two bed, one bath loft in Tempe, which is right across the street from Arizona State. That's where I graduated from. And I know that area. So I'm a big fan of starting with what you know and investing in Tempe, where I lived for four and a half years. I thought would be a really great place to start. I'm also a big fan of investing near airports, universities, and hospitals. And if you look at this location in Tempe, it's surrounded by those things. And oh, yeah. my parents live there too, by the way. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> those are all solid reasons. But yeah, yeah, my dad was living in Phoenix. My mom was over in Chandler, and Tempe is actually right in between the two. And so I felt like that was a really good midpoint and I could stay in my own space and then visit them whenever I wanted to. Cause my plan was to, um, have the Tempe property as a short-term rental. Right. So then you could go and stay in it and visit and mm-hmm. not have to burden them slash then, you know, as far as like tax write-off purposes, right. It, you're also checking in on your investment. It's such a win-win-win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love yeah. it. I love it. So um, fill us in on how that went. Okay. So that did not go as I wanted it to. I really wanted to have this, you know, profitable short-term rental that I could stay in whenever I want. And it, for the first year, uh, I think I lost like somewhere between five and $8,000, you know, from a month to month cash flow perspective, I had to put in like a new washer dryer. I had to fix the air conditioner, so many things. Um, and then because of it being a short-term rental, I had it on VRBO or Verbo, however you want to say it. Yeah. And I had it on there. It was doing well. I was having a lot of bookings, but the problem with that was that I had so many overhead costs. So the cleaners and the property managers those are such big fees. And plus the, um, the energy bill and the cable bill, all of these things, normally in a long-term rental, you wouldn't have that kind of stuff, right? Like maybe yeah, you might have a property manager, you might not, but if you do, they're probably charging you less. And then you can offload the utilities onto the tenant so that you don't actually have to pay for those things. So between all of the overhead costs, it wasn't working for me financially. And so after a few years of having it not be profitable, a few mm-hmm. months ago, I actually turned it to a month to month rental where one of my best friends is actually living there right now. So it's pretty cool. Perfect. And are you charging uh, that friend market rent? So I actually put it on Zillow in, I think it was back in May when I put it on Zillow. 
And I had put it out there for like, I think 1700 bucks a month as a furnished rental. I got some inquiries, but nobody seemed to be like wanting it right away. And so I didn't want to let it sit and get stale and sit vacant because vacancy is what costs you the most. I think in this you know right. investing world, I hate vacancy. So we want to minimize that as much as possible. Um, so I, my friend Betsy, she actually reached out to me and she thought it would be a really good opportunity for her to rent it month to month because her and her fiance are actually looking to buy a house in Arizona. And mm-hmm. you know, if they sign a one-year lease and then they have to break it early because they're closing on a house, it could be costly and not good for them. So I, I, I think it's a win-win with what we've got going on. She's paying 1550 a month and mm-hmm. she's also paying for utilities now. Yeah. That sounds like a win-win. And it's also a win-win for you as far as you bought in an area where you had a lot of, uh, contacts and networks. So, you know, that also is helpful as well for anybody thinking like, you know, they want to invest out of state because maybe they live in California too, where it's really expensive, right? Mm-hmm. Where do you have people? Where do you have the biggest network? We all, for the most part, have their friends or family that live out of state or, for, or from somewhere else. So I think that was a really great strategy to use. I want to circle back to just for you know po- questions popping in my head. What was your reasoning behind hiring somebody to manage your short-term rental versus you doing it yourself? Well, I think one thing is that you don't know what you don't know. And mm-hmm. since it was my first time doing this... I had no idea what to do. And so I actually asked my realtor for a recommendation for a property manager. And when I asked him for the property manager recommendation, I specifically said a short-term rental property manager because I didn't want somebody who was like a regular property manager and then also just does this on the side. Yeah, yeah. And they were really helpful. We had one guest who was horrific. They overstayed stayed there welcome. And they, the woman brought cats and completely destroyed my condo. It was smelly and so much furniture and like literally the cats pulled down the drapes from the walls and it was a nightmare. Uh, we had, they had to call the police to get this woman out. And what was great is I didn't have to deal with it until like, I didn't even know about it until it was all taken care of. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you being pretty satisfied with that property manager. Um, So just curious about the reasoning behind that, because I'm sure that's things that pop into somebody's mind all the time. And I too, when I bought my first rental, hired a property manager Mm -hmm. Um, that happened to be not a good property manager, but you know, it was the same, like, well, I've never done this before. I want to hire it out. So um, I just wanted to kind of pick your brain on that. So, um, so now that's a long-term rental. Where did you go from there? So now that that is done, um, well, I mean, not even now that that's done. Cause that was, I bought that one in March of yeah. March or February. Yeah. March of 2019, I believe or 20. Yeah. And then the next one I bought was in 2020, December of 2020. I bought an, my next, my next property, which was in Philadelphia. Philadelphia. And what took you to Philadelphia? So there were a few reasons I chose Philly. One reason what what this was the main reason was I wanted a stepping stone because I knew that my next I knew that one of my next properties was going to be an international property and because I had the one in Arizona, you know, a lot of the times we're in the same time zone. So it's easy to manage because just from that perspective of being in the same time, but Philly it's three hours apart. So I wanted to kind of see what that difference would be like if there was a difference between the communication and stuff like that. Also, one of the reasons Philadelphia specifically, again, hospitals, airport, and universities are all really close by. The rents for what you for what the purchase price was at the time, and then the rents there, I felt like it was a much better return than something like in California, where it's really expensive to to get in here. And then even though the rents are high here, they still don't you know they don't cash flow the properties here. Right. So, did you find? Uh there to be a huge challenge between the time zone difference with managing it from afar or no? Nope. And one of the things that is nice is because I had a virtual assistant, she's now just, she now does my uh, files for me for uh, real estate stuff, which is really great. Um, but she actually also manages the property in Philadelphia because she lives there. And what's even better is that her, one of her friend's sisters is our tenant And so when I closed on the Philadelphia property, Roxanne, the virtual assistant and my friend, we got it, you know, she helped me get it ready to just kind of do some quick fixes, a couple little updates. We put some removable wallpaper, just made it look a little bit cuter. She helped me get the property ready after I closed on it. 
And she also had this person that wanted to rent it. So while I was there, um, we interviewed her, we did a little walkthrough and then she signed the lease, um, like less than a week later. And she's been there now since January of 2021. And she's there for the foreseeable future. Awesome. Bing bada boom, easy peasy. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, circling back to your network, right. Mm-hmm. And being able to connect with people, you're buying where you know people, and you at least knew one person, and that one person knew other people. Exactly. And yeah, yeah. So that was that's a really cool way that that worked out. And from what I remember of us talking about it, which is like we barely ever talk about that rental because like there's it's so easy sailing. Yeah, that's good. That's a good one. Yeah. So that's the long term rental. So you said you were using that you know, as a, uh, you know, stepping stone for international. And that's really what I want to talk about today is your international purchase. Cause I think that that's really exciting. And also I don't come across a lot of people who buy internationally. I have a few other realtor people in our circles that talk about buying in Mexico and that's, you know, our Southern neighbor, Mm -hmm. but you went across the Atlantic and, um, which is a lot scarier. Um, so tell us a bit about that adventure. I mean, there's a lot to tell. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. First off, why France? Okay. There's a few reasons I chose France. When I was a kid, I actually studied French for four and a half years. So I felt like I had a good starting off point because I was already familiar with the language. So that was one of the reasons. I've always, always, always been obsessed with the idea of going to France and my long story, but my brother, when we were kids, he also studied French. He studied French. He was much better at it than I was though. And so my, our parents treated him to like a one or two month trip to France over the summer one year. And I was so jealous. And my mom said, Oh, well, if your French is as good as your brother's, you can go one year too. But I just never got to that point. So I never got to France until 2021, actually. And uh, yeah, so that's like, it's just always been on my radar. And also, um, it's cheaper to buy real estate there too. <laughs> it's really so, you know, when I think of France, I think of Europe, I think of beautiful architecture, I think of a lot of not a, not a lot of like space to build because it's mm-hmm. not a lot of land. Yeah. yeah, it's condensed. And then people have been living there for so long. So I just imagine it to be really expensive. Well, it depends on where in France, because I will say, obviously, my first thought was to buy in Paris. But if I cannot afford a property with a view of the Eiffel Tower, then I'm not going to buy it because there's no reason. <laughs> Okay. You can buy it. You can buy it anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> right. Might as well just go buy it in yeah, another place. Kansas. In Paris is old for the most part and tiny and expensive. So I could not afford Paris. However, I could afford the French Riviera, which is just like mind-boggling to me that that <laughs> you know that it was so much cheaper. Um, I mean, I got a very small place. The place I bought is a 250 square foot studio but it's got a nice little balcony and a view of the Mediterranean. So what what more can I ask for? Amazing. And where did you find that property? So where did I find the property and where did I find the realtor kind of go hand in hand? So um, when I went to France, one of my goals when I went on this trip was not only to explore France and and have a good time, but I also wanted to leave with the property. That was was big. (laughs) Okay. But I didn't know. We'll shop for souvenirs. Yes. Most people will shop for souvenirs, but you wanted to come back with a property and your name. Got it. Okay. Yeah, pretty so much. ambitious. Yeah. <laughs> and so what I found was that a lot of the realtors didn't speak English that well. And I went, I actually was just walking around in Nice one day because I was thinking that I wanted to buy a property in Nice because when I was looking online, there were so many affordable properties in Nice. Like you'd be amazed at how many properties exist under $200,000. It's ridiculous. Um, and so I'm walking around going to all these different brokerages in Nice, just like looking for somebody to be nice to me and talk to me and have, you know, a decent, uh, grasp on the English language. But I think it was my fourth office that I went into where I finally found the realtor. I looked at, I walked in the office and I was like, is there anybody that speaks English here? And all the other agents pointed to the same guy in the big office. And so I'm like, okay, that looks like my, that looks like my realtor. Wow. That narrows it down. Yeah. 
matter. Do you have time for me? Right? Can I talk to you? And da, da 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 da. And so in that meeting, when I sat down and I told him what I was looking for, he showed me three properties online that came up with the parameters that we discussed. I said no, no, yes. And when I said yes, I was like, I'm leaving to go back to the states in 48 hours. Is there a way we can see this before I leave? And so he set up a showing for the next morning and that was the property I bought. Oh my gosh. You yeah. are so wild. Did you <laughs> find that there was any kind of like negativity or pushback with you being American buying in France? I think with the realtors that didn't speak English, they did not want to work with me. And it was very apparent that they didn't want to work with me. I don't think that they were necessarily rude. I just think that there was a language barrier. So I don't know that I was, I don't know that I was treated differently, um, but maybe I wasn't communicated with as much as I could have been because, you know, even though I had a realtor who spoke French, there was still a gap. So So. what you're, I'm also hearing is you never perfected your French enough for your and better, better than your brother's French. And you no, I did not <laughs> went and, you know, ultimate revenge. <laughs> yeah. I never perfected it, but I have been doing practice every single day with Duolingo and I have a 363 day streak right now. Wow. That's almost a year. I know that's like two more days and it's a year. I'm so excited. Oh my gosh. I'm going to be texting you every, the next two days. Like, please don't break this streak for us. <laughs> for us. <laughs> for us. I'm going to be heartbroken if you break this streak. So that is um, really exciting. And so you left France after touring it and you're like, I want that. Mm-hmm. What are even the next steps from there? Like, how did you finance this? Was there anybody in America that did loans for France? That's a really good question. So some people told me that HSBC might actually be able to do the loan. And when I was in France, I did see a few HSBC offices. However, I reached out, they said no. And so, oh. yeah, so I asked my realtor for a lender in France. And so the lender um, put me in touch with a bank. So it was weird. I, ha- I was working with a lender who is processing the loan, but then I also had to work with the bank who is now, who, who funded the loan. And now I have an account with the bank and the bank is Katz de Pania. I don't know if anybody else knows, knows it, but it's a big bank. It's, it seems to me like it's the bank of America, of France, but what's really interesting is it's not like a corporate kind of situation. Like we have here. Um, like I have a lender in, California that works at Bank of America that could do a loan in Arizona if he wanted to. Right. That's not how it works with the French bank. So the French banks are all, even though they're like, they have the same title or the same name, um, they only lend locally. Oh, so one bank may say that they can do it. Well, another bank, they'll, you'll have the same numbers that you give them and the bank will say yes. Whereas another one would say no. So that's been really interesting. I have a friend who's French, but lives in California and he is a lender in California and he could not get a loan in France because of like certain, you know, uh, limitations. But then I gave him my person and then they gave him a referral to call and then that bank could do it, but a different bank couldn't. So, so weird. The limitations Uh, on that. That's so interesting. How regulated did you find the process to be, right? Because I've heard buying in like other countries like um, Central America, South America, it's a lot more handshaky, like not as documented where, and you know, being a realtor in California, we have a like a 17 page document for everything we do. We have a heavy disclosures, right? There's processes, there's waiting periods, right? There's like RESPA laws that we have, that we have to follow and respect. So like it's heavily regulated here. Mm-hmm. How much of that did you find there? I don't know, regulated or whatever, but what I thought was interesting about the loan approval process was that they had me fill out a health questionnaire because they don't want, yeah. So they were like, have you been hospitalized within the last 10 years? Have you ever been diagnosed with cancer? How old are you? Oh, These kind oh of gosh. things. Yeah. I get like kind of like an insur- old insurance intake, mm-hmm. which that probably wouldn't fly here. I don't think it would, um, especially because you're not supposed to discriminate here against people based on their age. And that right. was where they didn't want to lend to people because the, and the loan, the loan durations there are 
20 years here, they're 30. I've, and I've even heard of 40 year mortgages here now, but I don't know if that's like going to be a thing or not really. But um, yeah. So for, if you're going to be a bank lending for 20 years, I guess you want to make sure that the person that you're lending to is in good health. And so that was kind of interesting. That's really interesting. I've heard that about Australia hmm. and I was surprised about that, that they, if, if they're issuing like a 30 year, I don't know if it's 30 year there, but they want to make sure that you you know, are going to live those 30 years. So they'll, they'll, they'll have an age cutoff, which just as an American, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so discriminatory. You know, everybody gets loans. You can't like, and let, mm-hmm. you know, we, the only basis you can like disqualify somebody for is for financial reasons. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. So that's so interesting to me. One of the other differences between like the negotiation and the offer or whatever, how that kind of process worked, uh, what I found was interesting was first you do a verbal negotiation. So I called my agent. I said, okay, well, I think it was listed at 272,000 euros at the time. And so I called my agent. I said, okay, offer them 230 and see how they, how they respond. And this was before we did anything in writing. Uh-huh. I didn't even have a pre-approval letter from a lender, like nothing. Oh it's just verbal dialogue. And, uh, so yeah, so then they came back and he told me that the seller is not willing to, the seller came to, I think two forty eight, And then I tried to go back. I tried to go back at like two thirty five or two forty or something. And then they said, no, their seller is not going below two forty eight. That's their bottom line. And they had been on the market for a while and they already, already had done a price drop, uh, drop or, or two maybe. Um, so anyway, that was their bottom line and that's what I got it for. But then the contract, the 39 page French contract came later. Oh yes. my gosh. 39 pages. And you had a translator for that? Yeah. So I have a friend, her name is Mary Lean and she does real estate actually in San Carlos, which is, I don't know, half an hour North of where I live. And yeah. she's from France. And so I asked her, I, I treated her to a nice fancy dinner. And I said, will you help me go over this 39 page contract and tell me what I need to know? Cause je ne sais pas. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, that would be really intimidating for most people. Mm-hmm. And I thought California was intense. 39 pages, but was that inclusive of disclosures? No, or was it was that- just the contract. The disclosures came later. I didn't read them. I don't care. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, don't care. I was just like, can I rent it out on, on Airbnb? Can I buy it? And when can I close? That was what yeah. it was important to me. Okay. And tell about close, tell me about your close. Cause that was a really long process, right? And real estate here goes pretty fast, right? Re- especially residential. You'll usually close anywhere between 21 to 45 days. How long did you, did it take for you to close on that um, so the, French property? The verbal negotiations started in, I would say October and okay. I got into contract on it in November and then I closed on it uh, on May 20th. It was a long time. Yeah. Yes. So I will say it doesn't normally take that long in France, but the reason it took a long time for me is because um, I actually asked for a little bit of an extension so that I could have the time to do my taxes for 2021 because the lender was asking me for my net income after expenses. And since I'm a realtor, you know, I have to itemize every single expense and like, that needs to be done by an accountant and it needs to be certified by him before they can approve the loan basically. So, um, and then three years of your income and your, and your, uh, expenses. Mm -hmm. Oh, instead of just two, they wanted three. Yeah. And so had I used my year, my three years, including 2018 area, the year prior or whatever, it wouldn't, I wouldn't have gotten approved. That's why I needed to do that is because they need, I, I made so much more money that year and I needed to show the increase in my income in order for them to improve me for the loan. Wow. Wow. Okay. So that makes sense. So you had kind of extended it a bit. So it isn't, wasn't necessarily all, you know, the French process's fault. Right. I think the but, usual closing time frame there is probably about 60 to 90 days if, if everything goes as planned. Yeah. Which is still like really long for me. Yeah. Here's 25 to 30 days, maybe. Yeah. 45 days. Right. I, I, I threw 45 out there only because some people might be listening into it in a different market in America, and that's more common. But you know, the, yeah, that's really sometimes we see three day closes in the Bay Area because of yeah. cash deals. So then you closed on it. Mm-hmm. 
and tell me, you know, about your plan for that, what you, what you did to prepare the unit, I guess. So one of the really cool things in France is that when you transfer property, some, a lot of the times the furniture actually stays with it. So I got a lot of the furniture from the previous owners included with the sale, which was nice um, because my plan is, was to rent it out on Airbnb. So I needed furniture, obviously. And that saved me probably a couple of thousand dollars. Um, Mm -hmm. I still went and bought stuff because it wasn't the cutest furniture. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I closed on it May 20th. I got, I arrived in France on May 23rd. And then my boyfriend and I actually like spent the whole week going um, to Ikea, buying new furniture to complement the stuff that was already there. um, And like new bedding, decorations, that kind of thing. And then we also just did a couple of little DIY projects around the place. Like, like it's, since it's a studio, you want to maximize the space as much as you can. So we put little rods to hang the utensils from, which I thought was really smart. They do that a lot in Europe because there's a lot of small kitchens, apparently. Uh, There's no space. (laughs) There's no space. Yeah. So utilizing the space well, making it functional and making sure that I have had everything in place that um, an Airbnb guest would want. Okay. So that's the fun part in my opinion. Although when I did that in Ohio, it took forever. Yeah. So it takes a little bit longer than you think it's going to take. And so we rented a car actually, because I didn't have a car. So I had to rent a car for a few days, but what was really interesting was when I looked at the prices, it was like a hundred dollars a day. And then out of nowhere, it went to like $300 a day. And the reason for that was because we were actually there during the Monaco Grand Prix. So everything was really expensive during like the second half of the trip. Um, So yeah, so we had to schedule the car on an affordable couple of days and then use it as much as we could for the Ikea trips and thinking about like doing returns and stuff. There was an item of furniture I paid $65 for and I ended up not using it. So I just left it on the street and somebody got it for free. Yeah. At that point, when you don't have a car, what are you going to lug it yourself? I'm not going to pay $50 for an Uber ride to go there when it's like $65. So wow. Just cut your losses then. Yeah. How has that been performing? It's my best investment property so far, actually. (laughs) This is the biggest, the scariest and or riskiest and, you know, the biggest biggest reward. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's cash flowing. So my, I guess my fixed, my fixed costs are around a thousand euros a month. My variable costs happen to be around a thousand euros a month. And my gross income has been around 3000. So I'm clearing about a thousand bucks. That's great. Which the Euro and the dollar are still neck and neck right now. They're about one for one right now. Okay. This is really interesting. So when I got into the con into contract on the property, you know, I was paying 248,000 euros at the time when I got into contract, that was equivalent to 289,000 US dollars. But today that number is totally different. So 248,000 euros is actually closer to like 247,000 US dollars. Man. Yeah. That's annoying. Yeah, I know. So whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Worth noting though. Um, interesting. And I mean, I don't know if there's a a workaround for that or not, but that's definitely, you know, something different that you don't have to deal with, obviously when you're buying in the States, Mm -hmm. right. It's the currency exchange. Oh, and you know, one other thing I didn't have to deal with was having bad credit because I have bad credit right now. I think my score is like 675 or less probably. Uh, but there's no credit score system in France that they use to qualify you for the loan. So that was really cool. And because there, like, had I had to report my bad credit rating, you know, in the States, when you have bad credit, you get a higher interest rate on your loan. Right. Right. But I got a 1.45% fixed interest rate for 20 years on this loan. So Oh my gosh, get out of here. That is so crazy. That's so cheap. Oh my gosh. Everybody go to buy property. This is the new thing. Um, have gone up though. And they're in like the low threes apparently in France now, but that's still cheaper than what we're seeing in the States, which we're seeing anywhere in like the low fives to the low sevens, depending on the loan amount. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, that is amazing. And that's really interesting about not having a, a credit score system, but then they do check your health. So it's like, yeah, yeah. Glad they didn't get on you for like your asthma or something. <laughs> I know. I was like, is, is, it, is it bad to say I have asthma? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How much do I have to tell? It's not like, 
there's like a physical. And if you said that you didn't, is that mortgage fraud? All of these questions are coming into mind. I have no idea. Right? You're like, yeah, I'm healthy. And then you're not. (laughs) Yeah. You go to prison for that. Oh my God. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So what did you learn from buying this property in France? That I cannot rely solely on my boyfriend to translate things for me because (laughs) he's my boyfriend, not my translator. And I think that if you're going to buy something in another country and another language, you need to have, you know, somebody who is there that's dedicated to help you translate stuff. Because Mm -hmm. if I was buying something in Australia, it would be different because they speak English, right? So I can. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have to repeat things a, a little bit slower for me. Sometimes. Yeah, slow it down. There's a little bit of translating, but yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, depending on somebody for that is actually a really big ask of somebody. It is. It really is. And I don't want our relationship to be focused on the property. Like I want us to focus on us and the property is just part of that, you know, that pie, I guess. Right. Especially because it's yours, right? It's not together. It's right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's also interesting because I've talked to people who are fluent in other languages, Mm -hmm. but when it comes to like real estate contracts, like that is a whole nother aspect. It's almost like a legalese. So we call Mm -hmm. it in, in English, how we, you talk about, you know, contingencies and stuff like that. And you can really get into detail with some of the language that we don't use even in English on a day-to-day basis. So I can definitely understand, not that I think that, you know, these people or your boyfriend are dummies and don't know their language, but, you know, language is very complex like that. Well, and, and to your point, right? Like we, I'm, I'm trying to remodel the bathroom right now. And so I had a contractor go by and they gave me a quote. Obviously the quote is all in French. And I had my boyfriend try to read it and tell me what some of the things were, but he didn't even know because it's all contractor jargon. Right. Yeah. Which I remember getting into real estate and reading home inspections. And I was like, this pronouncing And it was so embarrassing. Like luckily one of my first clients was my brother and his wife, my sister-in-law, Jessica. But I was like diligently going through this home inspection report, which I was probably going over sections that I wouldn't go over today, but I just was trying to do my best and I didn't know what I was doing. And I was kept, they kept talking about, um, I think it was joists or something under the house, like the foundation. And I'm like, hoists, hoists. (laughs) And they thought it was like, funny the first time, but I genuinely didn't know how to say this word. (laughs) My sister-in-law who worked as an executive assistant for a construction company, like a huge construction company was like, um, sis, it's Joyce. Like, let's move on. (laughs) We don't really care about this stuff. Like, where do we sign? Like, okay. But anyways, yeah, the language is, it's so complex when you get into these, you know, specific, um, categories, right? So that's super interesting. And I, I want to hear a little bit about, um, we, we, we know where your current portfolio is, right? You've got the Arizona long-term started as short-term. Now it's long-term. You've got the long-term in Philly. You've got the short-term in France. Um, what are the current challenges that you're facing with managing these properties or just where you're at in your career or an investing career? So in my investing career, I guess the challenges that I'm facing right now are mostly with the France property because of the language barrier. So, you know, I was just talking about how I got this quote to do the bathroom remodel, but um, I am not actually going to move forward with it because it's so much of a hurdle to talk to the property manager that I have and the contractor and like have them translate stuff and make sure that it goes correctly. It's hard enough to do a remodel in English. (laughs) So that's actually really, really complicated. And so I put that on the back burner for now. I'm going to go to France again and try to find somebody who is a contractor who speaks English, which I have a guy. So I'm going to meet with him. Um, But yeah, anyway, that was one of the things. So basically, yeah, it's it's just, uh, it comes down to really the language. And remodels are hard in general. So yeah, I think that's been one of the biggest challenges is the language barrier. I would love for you to share um, a bit of a brag, time to toot your own horn. And I know you have a lot of things to be proud of yourself for doing. So try to narrow it down. (laughs) Yeah. So I try to humbly brag. Um, One of the things I'm obviously proud of is the France property, because like you said earlier, not a lot of people have done that. And what's really cool is when I go to the, these other meetings with the other builders, 
realtors, you know, I'm on the board for our local association. And so I'm surrounded by agents who have been in the business for like 20 or 30 years. And I always love to ask them what has been their best investment. And it's so great to hear all the different things that people say. Some people tell me commercial. One lady told me wine, actually. She invested in cases of wine that she would buy from Bordeaux and then she would just let them age and then she would sell them off. Like so brilliant. I would never even think of doing something like that. Um, But what was fascinating was that at the table one day, one of the guys pointed out that nobody else owned international real estate and but they all own different kinds of real estate. So I thought that was really something to be, pro- to be proud of is owning the international property. Um, one other thing that I'm proud of too is scaling back a little bit, like delegating and, and, and not taking everything on myself, like having the property manager. It's really hard to delegate when you're your own, uh, when you're your own business sometimes because you want to control everything. Uh, so I think I'm proud of myself for the delegation stuff too. That's been really good. Yeah, that's something worth being proud of. It is really hard to delegate, right? Um, especially coming from, you know, if you have any any ounce of perfectionism in you, um, it's really hard to just let go of the results after handing something over. Um, so that is definitely something to be to be proud of, and it's something that I work on all the time. Yes, like what? Who could do this for me? And there's a really good book. Um, I'll throw it out there: Who, Not How. If you haven't listened to it. Um, I mean, I found that it was a lot of philosophy of, you know, convincing me like, hey, somebody else could do this better than you. But Mm -hmm. um, in a few practical steps, but mostly just just, you know, getting my head wrapped around the idea of I'm self-sabotaging if I'm not delegating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So thank you for that. And if you were to travel back in time and talk to your 18-year-old self, what would you tell 18-year-old Jasmine Tiffany Lee? <laughs> I would tell her to always have a backup plan because that is what I learned with the first property in Arizona, actually, because you know my original plan was to have it as a short-term rental and to be profitable. That was part of the plan was to make money, but I had it as a short-term rental and it wasn't making any money. So I had to, I had to go to my backup plan, which I had set from day one. I told myself if it doesn't, if, you know, I'm going to give it an amount of time to do what I want to do with this short-term rental thing. And if it doesn't work out, I'm going to go to plan B and plan B was to do a long-term rental. So that's what I've got now with my, with my friend, Betsy, who's living there. Um, So I think it's really important to always have a plan B. Excellent advice. Yeah, I agree. Great idea on that. And I'm glad that you were able to pivot that and not keep losing money on it. Yeah, me too. Cause now it's cash flowing, which is fantastic. And it's also a lot less stressful too, because I don't have to worry if the cleaners have gone by in time for the guest who's checking in that night, like that kind of thing. It's so nice. Do you think that that wasn't cash flowing, uh, because the overhead was higher than you anticipated? Is that, is that why, or was their demand lower? Maybe it was a combination of both. When you look at the market, in Arizona, I, I, I was looking at it from the lens of there's going to always be people that want to stay here because the university is there and you're going to have parents visiting their kids. You're going to have, you know, a lot of people coming for being close to ASU. But what was really interesting was I actually had more long bookings when I had that, like when I had it on, um, VRBO, like I had a couple where they stayed for three weeks or three months, which was fantastic. You don't really get that in destinations like Villefranche, where my property is in France, because that's just for people to go for like maybe three to seven days. They don't really stay longer than that. Interesting. And the way that it works with short-term rentals, you know, the longer that you stay, usually, usually people like me who have their properties on these websites, they have a discount built in the longer you stay. So if yeah. they stay for more than a month or more than uh, a week or whatever, you can have these auto discounts already programmed. Um, so I was having longer stays <laughs> and getting, you know, less per night, but then also having a lot of expenses that I still had to cover. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. I was just curious about that. I mean, it's probably the same advice to your age yourself, right? The advice to beginners, unless you have any other advice that you'd love to give to somebody just wanting to start out in real estate investing, what would you tell them? Well, I actually really liked what you said on one of your previous episodes about 
start it, like just starting something. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just freaking do it. Right. If we wait for everything to be perfect for all of the stars to align, well, chances are that's not going to happen. And we don't want to use the stars not being aligned as an excuse to prevent us from taking action. And so I think, you know, I didn't have any idea what I was doing when I bought the property in France. I'm like, I'll get the realtor. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll figure it out as I go. I don't know what I don't know. So they'll tell me what I need to know. Um, But yeah, so you don't have, you don't have to have this perfect plan. You don't have to have everything in place and just take the first step. And then the next steps will appear as you go. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I do admire about you, Jasmine, is that you don't overthink stuff like that. Yeah. And you just jumped in. Like, I remember when you were telling me that you were wanting to buy something in France. I was like, okay, like (laughs) this is another one of Jasmine's ideas. (laughs) Um, Because you're definitely also an idea person and constantly coming up with these uh, grand ideas. And um, uh, you just did it. You just said, I'll figure it out as I go. Right. There's a saying, and I'm probably going to butcher it, but you know, just uh, jump and figure out the parachute on the way down kind of thing. And that was you. And so like channeling my jazz inner Jasmine helped with starting this podcast because, you know, you could, you can figure it out as you go. Like I definitely know that there are better platforms to be recording this on, right. Probably better lighting setups, background stuff. There's like a lot of things that I could be doing differently. And you know what? I will, when I get there, right. You can only do what you can do right now. And that's enough momentum to get where you're supposed to go. So, um, yeah, kudos to you on that or your parents for raising you that way or nature for making you that way. I'm not sure, (laughs) but (laughs) what you believe in, but I'd love to hear about you know, who or what has been your biggest inspiration in your real estate investing career? Who has been my biggest inspiration? Well, you're one of the people because, you know, you and I obviously talk about real estate 24 seven, we can't get enough of it. (laughs) And so bouncing off ideas with you and the questions that you ask me, sometimes I don't ask myself. So it's really great that we have the back and forth that we have. And so I really like that. Um, As far as other influence like other people who have influenced me. Like I said earlier, my, my previous Mike Ferry coach, Anne, she's been a big um, resource for me. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else off the top of my head. I'll have to get, if I think of anybody else, I'll let you know. Okay. And I just want to just throw a little like tip or life hack out there. Something that Jasmine would do was she would uh, record these coaching calls that she had because we were paying a lot of money for this real estate coaching program. And, um, and it's not like she was secretly recording it. Like they knew they encouraged it, right? She recorded her calls and then she'd re-listen to them either again the next week or the, the highlighted ones, she would re-listen to it over and over again. And, um, if, I think this is a great tip for any coaching program, because I know in real estate investing, there's a lot of mentors that you can have. There's a lot of coaching programs, right? And to actually not just, you know, have the webinar recording, but to actually go back and listen to it and watch it again. If it was, you know, valuable content, if you had a great call with your coach, if you have a one-on-one or group calls with whatever coaching program that you have, right? Record the calls and actually put the time and the energy because you're paying the money Mm-hmm. And you want the education. And if if you want this bad enough, you're going to take the time to re-listen to this material. It used to be part of my Sunday routine, actually, because every Sunday, you know, you and I put our schedules together for the week. And so before I would put the schedule together, I would actually listen to the coaching call from that week. And then that way it was fresh on the top of my mind. And I I could implement the things that we talked about and actually put them on the schedule because you and I have both learned if it is not on the schedule, the chances of it happening are close to zero. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. If it's not on the schedule, it's probably not happening. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Try. (laughs) Anybody in my life has the uh, freedom to ask me if what they're asking of me is on my schedule because that is the accountability. If you ask me to come to something, just you could send me a calendar invite. You could double check. Sometimes I reply to people, okay, it's in the calendar. Just like it, now it's happening. Your kid's having a birthday. 
it's in the calendar. <laughs> I'll be there. Great. Now I want to hear about maybe a book recommendation that you have, or, sure. you know, even something, a podcast that you're listening to that you'd, uh, other than obviously your best friend's podcast, sure. <laughs> um, what could you recommend to the listeners? Okay. So there's a couple of books that stand out for me. One of the books actually is one that you gave me, The Only Woman in the Room. It's about, I think, 20 different female real estate investors. And you hear their stories and their backgrounds and how they got started and how, how like the struggles that they experienced and what they learned. And I think that that's a really great book. Um, so thank you for, you know, getting that for me. It really opened my eyes to other forms of investment, like public storage is something that, uh, you know, we've talked about before, but I learned more about it in that book. And it was really appealing. Some of the things that she was pointing out. So that was really cool. Another book, this should not surprise you because we've talked about this book before and I've read it multiple times. This is oh, I know <laughs> the compound effect. Not I what I thought you were going to say. No, were you going to, were you thinking think and grow rich? Yes. Okay. I still haven't actually finished think and grow rich, but I've listened to the first half of it. I can't even tell you how many times, but we're close. I have an accountability partner and she and I are going to do another call next week. And we're on chapter, we're going to be on chapter 14. And I think there's maybe 17 or so chapters. We're almost done with think and grow rich, but okay. okay. The compound effect by Darren Hardy. So when I was a kid, I didn't really have like parents who taught me good habits. My parents taught me a lot of things, but consistency was not one of consistency in a good way with intention. It was not one of the things that they taught me. And so it's been really hard as I grow up to implement consistency and to sustain it and maintain it. I really like have struggled with with this a lot. And that's one thing that I've noticed is really common in successful people is that they're really consistent with what they do. And so that's something I've been trying to improve. And so the book the compound effect talks about the important of the importance of consistency and how that compounds over time. I do love that book. We read that so long ago. I've read it multiple times. I read that one probably like every other year because it's so good. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. I got it. I got to circle back to it, but um, I'll go ahead and put all the links to these books in the show notes if anybody's interested and uh, also reading along with them. Tell me something that you're currently obsessed with. You mean apart from the obsessed with real estate show? <laughs> yes. And, uh, and being obsessed with me, obviously. <laughs> I know I should change the ring. No, anyway. Uh, <laughs> well, obviously I'm obsessed with real estate just as much as you are. And right now I want to buy more properties internationally. I don't know where the next one will be, but I'm trying to figure that out right now. So I am obsessed with properstar.com. Properstar.com is my Zillow on an international level. Oh, properstar.com. Yeah. Okay. Properstar.com. Like my business partner, Selena and I I was, I was asking her the other day, like, okay, if you're going to buy an international property, where is it going to be? And so she said either England or Croatia. So it's like, let's see what we can buy in Croatia. And then we went down the rabbit hole of what's for sale in Croatia on proper star. And it was fantastic. So I'm really obsessed with proper star. I think it's a really great resource if you're looking for international property. And uh, there were a lot of properties under $250,000 in Croatia that had a water view. And that is amazing. And I think I remember you sending me a couple of those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Why wouldn't you buy in Italy? Because I know that you also have a, you know, a lot of not ties there, but your heart, you love Italy. You visited there multiple times as well. Yeah. So it'll, and my Italian is not nearly as good as my French. Oh. <laughs> okay. I can say okay. Ciao bello and that's about it. Uh, or grazie mille, but that's, that's all I can really get. my <laughs> Well, it sounds like you don't really even need to speak the language, judging by oh, yeah, your I guess I need to hire a good translator. Um, sure, but with Italy, um, okay. So what's really interesting? I'm obsessed with Positano. That's like, a, you know, on the Amalfi Coast. It's beautiful, and it's a town of about four thousand people. It's like a little fishing. It was it originated as like a little fishing village, and I couldn't afford Positano, and that's how I I, I ended up stumbling upon Villefranche. Um, because it is also a small town of about 4,000 people and it has a similar style architecture, all that kind of stuff. So I found my Italy in France basically. And what's fun, a fun fact, by the way, is this part of France used to be in Italy at some point, a very long time ago. So, oh, that is a fun fact. Yeah. But 
I'm not sure if any of the listeners heard about these incentives that were being offered to people in Italy back in 2019. Business Insider has this story about people who bought property in Italy and the auction started at a euro. Do you remember this? Yes, I remember this. And we went down this rabbit hole, but there was there was a catch to it. You had to spend a certain amount of money in fixing it up. And you had to hire local people to do the work too, because that was the whole point of this program was to incentivize people to hire local people because the communities that these homes were in were um, decreasing population basically. And so they wanted to stimulate the economies and, and, you know, let them thrive again. So that was really appealing to me. And I don't know if this is a program that they're still offering. I, what was really cool is that Business Insider did a story about it, I think in 2020 or 2021, a where are they now kind of a thing. So that was really cool to see the people who had done it and what their result was. And it was so funny because everybody said that they would do it again, even though they all had headaches and roadblocks and nightmares that they experienced. So that was really cool. That is really cool. That's really interesting. And I feel like that's kind of like real estate investing anyway. Mm-hmm. It never goes the way you want, you plan for it to go. It goes some other direction and there's always hiccups and bumps, but, um, you know, we would do it again and we do do it again. (laughs) And when we do it again, we learn from the previous time, right? So that's, that's the thing you get smarter as you go. So my next question for you, um, has been misinterpreted a little bit. It was what's a boring fact about you. And on your questionnaire, you put that there's nothing boring about you, (laughs) Miss Sassy (laughs) Pat. So if you don't have anything, I will go ahead and rattle off random facts about you. Share them. Go for it. I'm 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 excited to hear what these random facts are. Okay, so I just came up with this list be- right before starting the show, and I probably could come up with like a hundred more because I've talked to you so often. We don't have time for that. <laughs> I know. I know you so intricately. Um, okay. <clears throat> so Jasmine T. Lee, she loves swimming. And when it's warm out, that's her favorite form of exercise is swimming. She does laps and she's a very picky eater. Oh my God. So picky. There's so that she thinks that she's not, but she actually has a long list of things that she does not eat. And she's obsessed with Trader Joe's. And if Trader Joe's doesn't carry it, then she's not eating it because she only shops at Trader Joe's. And she has never watched the original Grinch movie. And that is wild. And I just found this out. So I'm going to have to do something about this because it's like literally like a 15 minute long movie, a cartoon that is a staple to me. So if she, you know, I'm going to Grinch her. <laughs> and um, Elf is also one of our favorite Christmas movies. Elf so. is, yeah, Elf is um is a classic as well. Um, so I'm glad you're on the same page there. Um, she has virgin hair, she has beautiful hair that um she doesn't have to style. She did flat iron it for this episode because she cares about us. And she wanted to look her best, but she naturally gets out of the shower and just lets it air dry. And it's amazing. And I wish that I could do that. And it has a, like a body and color. It's a you know beautiful chestnut color and she doesn't have to do anything to it. And I'm jealous. And we had a scare when she started falling out and she were diagnosed with, um, alopecia. Yeah. Alopecia areata. Yeah. Last alopecia, year. Yeah. Areata out of nowhere. And now you've recovered from that and you handled that beautifully and gracefully. So, um, that's a more of an interesting fact than a boring fact, but that started off as a boring fact. And you, um, are of a motivational junkie. Yeah. You had a, uh, spurt of motivational speaking that you did engagements on. Um, and you think that you have a Disney princess connection to all of the animals that you meet. Yes. All of the animals and I are one. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so there is a list of facts that you didn't know about Jasmine Lee. And, um, I, like I said, I could have a million more, <laughs> but there you go. Those are, you know, little known facts and they're not boring, but not ones that you would talk about on a day-to-day basis. Sure. So what's next for you, Jasmine? Well, so we've already kind of talked about it is buying another property, right? It's just where I think that's what's next is figure, figuring out where it's going to be. 
We've talked about Italy. Now Selena's got me thinking about Croatia, especially since it's so affordable and get a really Have good- you been there? No, I've never been to Croatia, but I can put it on the list of places to go. Okay. Okay. Well, how about this? You go there and then you don't leave until you buy something. Well, that's what I was thinking. I was, I was going to bring Selena with me so that she can buy something too. Perfect. Yeah. It's a plan and just do it like you do. Where can the listeners and the watchers get more information on you or connect with you? So that's easy. Instagram at realtor to watch R E A L T O R to watch. It's not realtor. Just so you guys know, (laughs) we talk about that in real estate sometimes, buddy. But anyway, realtor to watch on Instagram. That's the best way to reach out. Perfect. And we'll put that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, Jasmine. This is so much fun chatting with you and doing a deep dive really into um, all of your investing and your France purchase. Big kudos to you. And I will probably talk to you right after this. Yeah, probably. So thanks for having me on the show. I was really excited to talk about this. I'm glad we got to, you know, do the, do the whole deep dive into the France property. And I'm hoping that that's valuable for a lot of the listeners. I think so. I think that you're improving your, uh, property value by showing other people how they can buy there and then you'll improve the demand and then your value will go up. So well, I've, well, I've already sent like three referrals of people who want to buy property. I've already sent three referrals to my realtor in France. So boom! if you need a referral for a realtor in France, definitely reach out to Jasmine. Yep. There you go. Awesome. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Well, there we go. There's our interview with my best friend, real estate soulmate, Jasmine Lee. I appreciate you listening to this podcast. This was a bit more of a personal episode as Jasmine is so close to me. And, um, you know, I, I definitely appreciate the opportunity to be able to share, uh, my best friend with you all and our relationship. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share some love, um, leave us a five-star review and I can, uh, you know, reach more people. And I would appreciate that. Feel free to subscribe, like, follow, all of the above on any platform you're listening or watching on. And if you'd like to connect, please do so on TikTok or Instagram, Alana George underscore real estate, or go to the show website, obsessedwithrealestateshow.com, where you can give some feedback. Let me know what topics you'd like. Uh, You can also apply to be on the show. Just send me a message. I love meeting new people and interviewing new people. And uh, you can also connect with me if you're interested in any future investing opportunities at clearconnectioncapital.com. I will see you on the next show. 